I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Getting shipwrecked with Paul last Sunday was a lot of fun. And so I thought, let's do the other end of the spectrum. You know, God had no intention of calming that storm, right? He sent the angel to say, you're all going down, but don't worry, I'm with you. So today we're going to look at when the storm comes and God says, no, this time we need to calm it. Both require the same faith. And last Sunday, as as much fun as we had, uh, nobody I'd rather be shipwrecked with than the Apostle Paul and Luke sitting on that Mediterranean beach sipping samadas for three months. Uh, Did you notice this little detail? It was the 14th day of a raging storm before the sailors pray. I I really, I didn't have time to talk about it last Sunday, but that really caught my attention. 14 days. Now, you you might say to yourself, well, they, they probably prayed before that and it's just not recorded. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. But the story details tell us that the soldiers had to cut the lifeboat loose to trap the sailors on the ship so that they didn't abandon them and leave everyone to die. Which makes me think they weren't the godliest old sea dogs. (laughs) Question for us this morning is, how often do you, do I, wait too long to pray? Because i got to be honest, uh, I'll, be, I'll be going into a situation or a crisis, and all of a sudden, I'll, I'll say, we haven't prayed. It's like, what's up with that? How often do you wait too long to pray? That's the question. Marriage, family, job, or school, disputes. Oh, boy, there's one where we kind of forget to pray when, when it's just starting. Health, country. Here's a point. If prayer isn't our first instinct, we're late getting out of the gate. And it's not always, I dare to say often, my first instinct. Why? Why is it my second or my third instinct? You know? And so sometimes we're late getting out of the gate. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter what the crisis is, that specific crisis. Before that crisis... There's often not a lot of soul searching and seeking God's way, you know, aligning our will with his his will by putting his word in our heart. Uh, Not a lot of that going on concerning this coming crisis, right? Then the crisis comes and we're not prepared for it. We haven't been doing that concerning this whichever crisis. During the crisis, you know us, we're often all over the place with our prayers, It's like at first, we're not even sure what. First, it might not even be the first instinct. It might be the second or the third or the fourth. I've got to pray. Then we start praying, and it's like, oh, God, change these circumstances. Change these people. Change this. Change that. Change everything but me. I just, you know, what do I pray for? But I I assume every one of us has experienced this because that's how it works down here. Somewhere deep in a big crisis where you realize, ooh, this is a big one. There will be a moment for most, if not all believers, when suddenly we quiet down. It's like we hit the wall. 
and we quiet down and we listen up and we look at within just to try to figure out with God's help what it is that we need to face and see and change. And that is when we face a sea change in our life. Those are the big storms that bring the sea changes. So how often do you wait too long to truly start to pray that way? The answer for maybe 90 some percent of us is too often. Too often, that's how often. Well, thank the Lord and take heart because it's never too late to start, you know? God will never say, oh, now you're turning to me? Sorry. No, it's not how he does. He'll look and he'll go, oh, so you're turning to me now. Welcome home. I wish you would have come here a couple days ago. But let's do it. Time's a-wasting. Now, the thing about the Lord that we don't like to think about, there's, just, there's, a, there's a side to him that we just don't like. And that is this. It is how he will lead us into a storm if it's for our eternal best. We don't like to think about that, that he leads us into hardships. Should have had hardship in the title last week somehow. <laughs> But we need to talk about that because he does, especially if it's the only way to get our full and faithful attention. We don't leave him a lot of options. And I mean, just think about Paul. If you heard the message last week, Paul was being faithful. He was obediently following the Lord to go to this Roman prison that he really didn't want to go to. And it was during him sailing to that Roman prison that he was led not only into a storm, but a 14-day hurricane followed by a shipwreck, followed by a struggle to shore. I mean, it was a miracle that no one died. That was the miracle, followed by a deadly snake bite. He's just trying to get wood to help warm people up. And really? That too? The guy says, yep, that too. Followed by the test of Malta Island, which I call Temptation Island. Three months of godlike status in paradise to try Paul's heart. I mean, that's the heart of the story, to try Paul's heart, to see if he would be willing to continue to follow God's lead when it came time to get on the ship and he had a choice to go to that Roman prison. Yeah, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about how active our Father and Savior and Lord is in our daily life. How bent on us growing he really is. Be a deer, God. Be a deer and just sit there until I need something and I'll call on you. And he says, no, that's not how this relationship works. But he only leads us where he needs us to position us in order to best show us and train us and teach us each individually the truest extent of his power and authority to calm the storm or to calm us in the storm. That was the story last week. Or both, which is exactly what he did years before Paul's shipwreck uh, on the Sea of Galilee off the shore of Capernaum, which was his base of operations right here 
right here. He did this with his 12 uh, apprentices and uh, often overlooked detail, 72 other junior disciples. They were all out in the water on boats when he calmed this uh, raging storm. And this story takes place right a mile that way off this shore. But it's right here where he called Peter and Andrew and James and John who worked on these waters and knew them quite well. And they knew when their lives were in danger. Now, here's the thing about the Sea of Galilee. Life-threatening waves are very rare. Because the Sea of Galilee is actually just a large lake. So getting that kind of action out there doesn't happen that often. But every so often, a violent storm just comes up and takes everyone by surprise. This is the last one, and it was captured on video in 1992. It's the Sea of Galilee. The storm just came out of nowhere and started producing 12-foot waves on a lake, which would have quickly and easily swamped the 15 passenger boats of Jesus' day. And we need ears to hear every detail of this story. So off with that, let's weave it and receive it and believe it. Uh, These are the three gospels that tell it. Matthew's in purple, Mark's in blue, Luke's in green. We got all the pieces. So let's read. You see, when evening had come, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And other little boats were also with them, because that's the 72. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. You think he didn't know what was coming? This is all part and parcel with the things we don't like to think about when it comes to God. He fell asleep, and suddenly, after he was asleep, a great windstorm arose and came down And a great tempest arose on the sea, you know, and that's coming up. And the waves beat into the boat. The boat was covered with waves and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. But he, ah, he was in the stern. That's the back of the boat. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. See, when they realize now, because who knows how long they tried to bail themselves out, when they realize they're not going to fix this, They're not going to bail themselves out this time. Well, then that's when it says they came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. Master, master, we're perishing. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Okay, that last one's more accusation. (laughs) Sounds like than question. You know, much like our panic prayers. Right? We got our panic prayers. That's when we wait too long to pray. Because, see, you don't get that kind of wits end without battling that storm on your own for quite a while until you know you're perishing. You've waited a little too long. And after they battled that storm, tried to bail themselves out, they turned to him. And you go, well, how long had they? Well, based on we're dying. We're dead. I'm guessing they waited the usual too long. Too long. And when we wait too long, our nerves become frazzled. But why the accusation? This unlocks something really special in this story. And why does the one doing the accusing, which may not even be an accusation, it might be an honest question. Why does he call him teacher? I mean, Lord, save us! Master, come on! We're perishing! Teacher, don't you care? Why teacher? Why the accusation? Why then? Why that? To understand it, 
And I love, you know I love when this happens. The only way you get the answer is to weave the stories together because only Matthew supplies the line that I purposely left out that I will now put back in to make it make sense. But I'll just give you a heads up before we read it. Jesus doesn't get up. He looks at them and asks them a teaching question. Here it is. Uh, They awoke him saying, this is where we left off. They awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he, now understand, didn't get up or even help him bail out. Instead, he chose this moment right here as a teaching moment and said to them, why are you so fear? I like to think of him as groggy. (laughs) Why are you so fearful? Oh, you have little faith. He's not scolding. He's asking a question. He's teaching. That's why he calls him teacher. He's testing. He's training. He's asking them in that moment to answer, to look within and answer that question. I'm not so sure it is an accusation. You know, we're dying. So why are you afraid of that? Wait, do you not care if we die? Teacher, what are you teaching? (laughs) Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And here's how we know that's where it goes. And after that, Mark in blue says, then he arose. After that question. And then Matthew kicks in. Then he arose. And we know with those two identical lines, that's how we know where this this question goes. And then it opens up the story for us. We're not reading into it. We're just actually reading it word for word. And that really helped me to understand how much I identify with these guys because I remember taking a bath at my grandma's old farmhouse back in the black and white days. And I was very young. I, don't, I had to be uh, three or four. And she left me alone in a big old clawfoot tub upstairs so it couldn't have had hardly any water in it. But I accidentally kicked the faucet and turned the water on and I was in a panic. I didn't know how to make it stop. It's just water's coming in. And I jumped out of that tub, and she used to love to tell this story. I, down, I ran naked down those stairs, screaming for help. And I remember Grandma being so frustratingly calm and slow <laughs> to respond. She, just a minute, Brucey. I'm finishing some up in the kitchen. And I'm just screaming, you don't get it, Grandma. <laughs> And then she comes out and she walks me back up there. When she finally got to the tub and shut the water off, it was only like 12 inches from going over the top. (laughs) Close one, right? (laughs) From my perspective, (laughs) it was horrific. There was probably four inches of water in the tub when I was (laughs) in there. So that actually does allow me to understand how they feel. We're all kids. He's our father. I understand how they feel when Jesus won't react with the urgency that their frayed nerves demand. But then whose fault is that? They waited too long. And yet, I mean, we have to ask the Lord also, what do you expect? (laughs) You know, what's he expect? Let's defend them a moment. They're fragile, very drownable mortals. And most of them don't even have a Jesus in their boat. But nonetheless, he expects the faith of those who know he's in their boat to override their fear. Because he's in their boat. (laughs) In other words, he expects you and I, he expects us to know who he is and to act accordingly. 
Because faith, if you ever wonder where faith comes from, here it is. Faith comes from hearing the message of Christ. And the message of Christ is heard through the word of Christ. So in case you were ever wondering, that's where faith comes from. Faith comes from the word of Christ. So if you want some faith, that's where we go to get it. Right there. So that's what he expects. Where's your faith? Well, now that we know where it comes from, we know what he's actually saying. And the Old Testament, some people call it the First Testament, the boys in the boat, they referred to it as the Bible, because that's it. That's what they had. Uh, it's interesting, because in the Bible, it not only declares that he rules the raging sea, and when its waves arise, he stills them, but in a very specific passage written a thousand years earlier, not about them, but tailor-made for them and us, actually, his word in Psalm 107 clearly says, others went out on the sea in ships and saw the works of the Lord. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. And in their peril, their courage melted away. They were at their wits end, like we do. And then cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress like he does. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. It's not about them, but it's like he said, I want to recreate that. So in the boat, boys, because I know what's coming. <laughs> but before we go any further, go back. Did you see, did, did it really say he, he stirred up the storm? Well, you, you think it happened against his will? You think it took him by surprise? He's got a lot of faith to build in these boys and little time to do it. So the basic premise of this story is he puts them in a boat. They have no idea what's coming. He knows everything that's coming. He falls asleep. Okay. Puts them in a boat, goes to bed, and just before he falls asleep, whispers to the wind, give it a few minutes and then blow. <laughs> we don't like to think about that. But that's our Savior. That's our Lord. That's our God. That's our Father. Very active in our lives. We see a storm. We go, oh, God's left me. And he goes, left you? I'm sleeping right here. <laughs> well, we don't want you to sleep. Well, then wake me up. But you're God. I shouldn't have to wake you up. That's not how this relationship works. And if the boys had simply locked Psalm 107 in their heart... They would have woken him up much sooner, much calmer. But they were of little hearing the message through his word. Why don't you say that with me? Skip the faith word. They were of little hearing the message through his word. Which means they were of little conviction and little confidence and little calm. Because I guarantee, if they had that thing driven in their heart, Psalm 107, one of them, it wouldn't have taken long, one of them, and you, you'll know this is true the minute you hear it, it's funny, but you'll know it's true, one of them would have went, 
hey, I think we're doing Psalm 107. <laughs> and another one would have said, cool, wake him up. Because they would know, they would know what's happening. But if you don't have his word in your heart, you can't even know what you don't know. When Jesus asked, why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. They didn't know that they didn't know Psalm 107. And you know why they didn't know it? Because they never thought they'd need it. Never thought they'd ever need it to, you know, to really hear it. Sure, they sang it over and over, but never thought they'd really need it in real life. The message of Psalm 107, which is about Jesus. And if they did know it, they didn't, didn't dawn on him that he's the one it's describing. So there he sits in a raging storm. And he just sits there. And he looks up at him, calmly asking a question. Somebody paint that picture. <laughs> he can be so frustrated. Just call it frustrating Jesus. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? A disciple, don't you know my word? But see, okay, here's the thing. They're filling up with water. So in this moment, time really is of the essence. And of course, Jesus knows that. And he doesn't want them to die. So what's he do? He just gives them the answer with the question. Why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. Answer. Um, because we're of little faith? Correct. Okay, good talk. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the raging sea, specifically, peace. Be still. As though directing with authority, you know, little thing one and thing two, like the cat in the hat. Thing one and thing two, you're out of control. And here's the thing. The wind ceased. And, don't miss the second half, and there was a great calm on the sea. And here's the thing too. We limit him by our limited knowledge of him. So he sends us to sea. Because we really need to see how we underestimate his power and authority. They had no clue he could do Psalm 107. And you know how we know that? Save the Bible. <laughs> Very good. Because the story goes on to tell us. You know, watching the wind suddenly cease is pretty cool. Could be a coincidence. But that's pretty nifty. That's pretty neat. But it's the second half of that miracle when he says to the sea, be still. The waves collapse in a mirror-like great calm, a terrifying calm. Because, you know, how long does it take 10-foot waves to cease on a lake? But for him to say, enough, be still, and they go, and the boat's still rocking on a perfectly still sea. The boys were terrified of him. More so than the storm. He said to them, after he calms it, he said to them, why? <laughs> I like to picture them crowding the bow because he's in the stern. You know, the boat's tipping. Why? Why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? You know, how do you not see that we're doing Psalm 107? We sing it in church all the time. How is it that you have no faith no hearing the message and the word. And they were afraid. They feared exceedingly and marveled, of course, and said, who, who can this be? 
For he commands. See, when it says he commands, because there had never been anyone that commanded anything. Every prophet, every godly man of scripture calls on God to command it. So understand the he here is really meaningful. He didn't call on God. He just told it to stop. He commands even the winds and water. You know, not since the days of Moses at the Red Sea. Something like this happened. And even then, Moses, well, he had to call on God to do it. So who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is what they're realizing. Is he the, could he be who Moses was calling to? See, I think their alarm comes not from having no idea. Who could this be? Who could this be? The alarm comes in realizing there's only one thing this thing could be. And we're trapped in a boat with it. And we just woke it up and told it off. And I think it's the actual creator of the universe. I picture those boys crowding the bow like the kid on the lifeboat with the tiger in the life of Pi. <laughs> but with something way scarier. Because he says, why are you so fearful? They were so fearful after he calmed the storm. I love that about this story. Uh, probably because they realized they had more control over the storm they could ever hope to have over him. And so they fear him, we're told, exceedingly more than the storm, which is as it should be. All is right with the world on that one, which is part of our problem, actually. We tend to fear the storms of life more than we fear the one who gives life and takes it away. But he, we know this, we know this, he is infinitely more powerful than our little ups and downs down here. And these guys are beginning to realize and see this fearsome lion of Judah that's in their boat. Are you? Are you beginning to realize and see? Because if you really knew, would you wait so long? I just preach it to myself now. No, I need help remembering that. And that's why Paul could uh, say last week, keep up the courage, men. I'm paraphrasing, but keep up the courage. We're about to go down. That's the truth. We're going to lose the ship and all the cargo. But God is going to write it down with us. He's going to take us all the way to the island. He'll be with us all the way. Well, we don't like that about him. Why? Let's not. How about this? You just put us on the beach. That's not how this relationship works. Because our God will be our guide even to death. If we'll let him. I don't like to think about death. (laughs) Nobody does. Who likes to think about death? But you better. We all better. Because it's inevitable. And we are all together in that boat. With Jesus. And until you do think about it with him. He's unable to comfort you deeply, truly. You got to say to him in some way, in your own words, don't you care? You got to come to that point. Don't you care if I die? Don't you care if I drown? And I think he'd say to us, each one of us individually, like he would have said in the boat, you know, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, absolutely I do. 100% yes. But you still might drown. And if you do, I'll catch you on the other side. 
Trust me? No. No, not without building our faith by his word. Like rock solid. Only then can we show him that we know him because trust is the test of faith. And then calm is the test of trust. I've gone through things where I'm telling myself I trust him and I really do, but I ain't calm. So don't leave him in the back of the boat while you try to bail yourself out or at least just don't, don't leave him there too long. It works against you that way. In other words, don't wait too long to pray. You can start right now, today. Just humble yourselves, the word says, under God's mighty hand. You know, trust him. That he may lift you up in due time, the right time. And in the meantime, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In the midst of the storm especially. So let him, let him care for you. Trust him. Not only because of who he is, but because we know that he alone knows when for our eternal best he needs to calm things down. And when he needs to stir things up. And when he needs to run us aground. And when he maybe even needs to prepare a big fish to swallow us up and vomit us out. (laughs) Go figure. Because the critical factor in faith isn't its strength, my strength to believe it. It's the focus, is what I aim it at. And if my faith is focused on the one with all the authority and power, well, then all we need is a mustard seed, like, say, Psalm 107. So, where's your faith? And more importantly, where can faith be found? Uh, the Bible? Correct. Okay, good talk. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we love you and worship you and cast all our cares upon you. Holy Spirit, inspire us and empower us to build up our faith and trust in your through your word for those storms. Lord Jesus, we declare you to be the one who rules the raging sea. And we thank you for choosing to be in our boat. And everybody said... Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.